great power comes great responsibility. You know, I'm something of a scientist myself. Hey, Brick Joe! You're going nowhere! Crap, crap, mega crap. Impressive! You were meant for great things. You're taller than you look. I hunch. Go, Web, go! He's a criminal, that's who he is. A vigilante, a public menace. I'm Spider-Man. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Assembly Required, an MCU retrospective, the show where we reassemble the MCU piece by piece, movie by movie, episode by episode, and sometimes, instead of reassembling the MCU, we reassemble something we've already assembled. We re-reassemble it. Today, we are re-reassembling Spider-Man, uh, the Sam Raimi-directed starring Tobey Maguire uh, and the lady who plays Aunt May. Uh, I've also got the, the boys here with me to talk all about it. My my web slinging trio here. We've got Robbie, we've got Chris, and we've got Peaches. Gentlemen, what up? Tally ho, Web. <laughs> go Web, go. Fly. I'm really excited to have Soundlord here to talk about the same movie Spider Man since he refused to yeah. join us last time by getting married. Yeah, I was busy. Sorry. Uh, what a speaking jerk. speaking I was of life snorkeling events, snorkeling with an octopus. Speaking of life events during the... You can't say uh, that about Angela. <laughs> no, 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 no. The octopus was with both of us. Okay. <laughs> Wait, what were you doing with an octopus? Snorkeling. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they call it these days. <laughs> I zoned out for the first half of that conversation. Oh, boy. Uh, I want to use our early episode banter, by the way, to shout out listener Derek, who just welcomed his son into the world. Yay! Um, I don't know when listener Derek and his son will be uh, listening to this episode, but I did want to... The segue from what we just talked about to that made me think that Derek's son is an octopus. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen any pictures that yet. Makes, so. That makes him Octodad. That makes me think of Men in Black, where he, Will Smith delivers that one baby that, like, That's the, like, yeah. yes. baby thing. <laughs> and then it spits on him. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's like little Kit Fisto. You'll yeah. be shocked to know I hate that scene. <laughs> Derek, I'm sorry for what, what we just did. <laughs> Uh, Congratulations so, on your mollusk. Gentlemen, we did it. We finally released the Spider Cut. So hopefully you guys have gotten a chance to listen to the Spider Cut. It was the very first thing this group that we have here, minus Chris, ever recorded. Um, it was the sort of the test. We called it a pilot a hundred times. We couldn't, didn't even have a name at the time. Um, <laughs> it was sort of the test episode for everything that we're doing here. Uh, but now we're going to bring it back. We're going to do Spider-Man again. But this time it's going to be our normal format. It's all of us here and it's in the here and now. And hopefully next week you're going to join us because next week, I guess you're going to be hearing, seeing, hearing this on Monday. So if it's Monday, then this Friday, the what's the date? The 14th. The 14th. The 14th. If you are a Patreon subscriber at the Hero or Avenger level, we're going to be doing our community night. So uh, we're going to be all jumping in a Discord call and watching Spider-Man 2 together. So uh, it's a it's going to be really really fun. If you want to be a part of that, head on over to Patreon.com/assemblyrequired. Um, it'll be the hero and uh, Avenger levels that will be part of that community night. 
we're going to continue to reassess that as we do more community nights. Maybe eventually we'll add the agents in as well and just do the whole Patreon. We'll, we'll kind of talk about that amongst ourselves. But for now, if you're either part of either of those, make sure you join us at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Friday the 14th, as we're going to watch Spider-Man 2 on Discord. But enough about did, that. Oh, so did y'all did y'all re like listen back to our spider cut? Yes, I did. I think my favorite thing about it, and <laughs> and we don't have to like give a synopsis of the thing that we already put out there. My favorite thing about it was us declaring somewhere in the like three quarters of the way through the episode something along the lines of thank God they aren't in the MCU because I don't want to watch those amazing Spider-Man movies. I'm so mad. Listen, <laughs> listeners. I laughed so hard editing that when I got there. <laughs> listeners, I am so mad at these people on this show with me for making me watch Amazing Spider-Man 2 again. I am just so absolutely furious at them. Yeah, well, I'm mad at you for your show notes in general on this episode, so we're even, buddy. And Robbie, if it makes you feel any better, that means that we also have to watch The Amazing Spider-Man 2 again. <laughs> yes. Misery loves company. So we're going to be talking about, once again, Spider-Man directed by Sam Raimi. It was released in 2002. Um, and we're going to be talking about, if for anybody that hasn't caught up with what we're doing right now, we're waiting for Loki to come out, which Loki just got an updated release date. It's coming out, what is it, the... Uh, Wednesday, June 9th, I believe it is. is. I thought June 9th was the Friday. Oh, yeah, then I guess it would be June No, June 9th is the Wednesday. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So June 9th, we're waiting for that to kind of come along. So until then, we're going to be reviewing all of the other Spider-Man movies that we haven't talked about so far. So the first three Sam Raimi movies, as well as the two Amazing Spider-Man movies. Uh, Loki uh, side note is if it's, it's coming out on Wednesdays now, isn't it kind of weird that it's moved from the day made after the parent that Loki liked to the day named after the parent Loki didn't like? Is Wednesday Odin's Day? Yeah. Interesting. Oh. Wow, what a stab. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's your that's your deep cut Norse mythology observation for the day. I've we try to have one in every that. Spider-Man episode we do. Please. Listen <laughs> <laughs> um, to us an amazing Spider-Man 2 and we discuss the world serpent. Well, uh, I just read I just finished reading a comic series called As Guardians of the Galaxy and it taught me a really strange bit of Norse mythology I never knew, so I'm going to hold on to that for next week. So wow. start, starting at the very top, Robbie, this is my problem here. You've already written it in here, but I think it's kind of cheating to be like, oh, we need to make sure this theme sticks in your head. So we're going to play the theme for an unnecessary amount of time at the beginning that you have to sit and watch these credits for. And then when you hear it later, you're like, oh, my God, that's the theme from the beginning of the movie. So, OK, <laughs> I actually wrote it in the notes. I like your accent. Thanks. I wrote it in such a notes that the point was you were supposed to make fun of it because I'm glad that movies have moved away from that. That opening was very early or yes. late nineties. Like yes. obviously it was two thousand two when the movie came out, but yeah. it was such a late nineties opener. Like, yes. all right, right. Let's That's... watch these credits for the rest of in our a, lives. Wait, are, are, we, are we just like making fun of the concept of the overture? Because I cannot get on board with that. No, I'm not making fun no. of the concept of the overture. I'm making okay. fun of, or at least my intention was to bait Eduardo into making fun of the lengthy. So this movie is stuck in the 1989 Batman model of how to do a superhero movie in a lot yeah. of ways. And one of those is you sit and you watch the credits while something evoking the hero plays across the screen. In this well, the case, first note I wrote down was the opening titles look like 
current MCU end titles. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's and, and that's kind of what used to happen. And so you had to watch and you had to listen to the suite of the hero theme, which is mm-hmm. fantastic, but that doesn't mean I want to sit there and stare at it for 10 minutes before the movie starts. That's fair. Um, and that's what happens here. And so he was supposed to make fun of that. I was not. I always, the... I always forget that the score is Danny Elfman. And so whenever I start this movie, I have to remember again that I'm in for a seven minute intro. And this time... <laughs> This time I literally said right before the uh, score by Danny Elfman shows up, I was like, is this Danny Elfman? And then there it was. Like, it's funny no, that you shit, forget Danny, Danny Elfman. Elfman to me because as much as I like the score, it just sounds like Danny Elfman. Like it's more, it's like the John Williams level of recognizable of who made this score. If you close your eyes at the seven minute intro to this movie, you could open your eyes to any of the following. Spider-Man, Beetlejuice, Nightmare Before yes. Christmas. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows what you're going to open your eyes to? Right. He definitely has a sound. Yeah. I, look, man. First off, I was going to talk about this opening crawl sequence because it pissed me off when I first watched it. So you didn't bait me. I bait myself, sir. <laughs> but you <laughs> thought I was defending it. <laughs> wow, like a master. Yes, quite. Quite. Um, I don't love Danny Elfman's just in like incessant ability to throw in a crescendo followed by a day crescendo over and over and over. And that is the point of this theme for someone to be like passing by as they're singing. <laughs> Danny. <laughs> Elfman? And I just, the elf man himself. <laughs> I just don't love it. I don't love it. Like, Yes, I remember the theme, but would I remember it if I didn't have to be sit in a theater and watch it for three and a half minutes? By the way, the opening title sequence is three and a half minutes. I looked it up. Uh, and would I actually remember it during the movie? Probably not, because they don't actually like... It's used a, maybe like once or twice, but it doesn't actually... His like theme doesn't actually play throughout the movie. It's just a very, very... Like, very select points where he, like, look, man, I don't think the theme is would be that memorable if I didn't have to sit through a whole montage at the beginning listening to it specifically. Well, it plays a little bit in the end credits until you get Nickelback. No, 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 no. It's not Nickelback because they didn't have money for all of Nickelback. This was when Chad Chad Kroger oh, was striking out on his own. No. Just Chad Kroger. Oh, it's a, no. no, it's a duet with a country artist, I Josie is it? Scott, I think, is the guy's name. Oh I'd have to God. look it up. I know that it's it is not Nickelback. It is Chad yeah, Kroger. It's, it's Chad Kroger featuring Josie Scott. I, uh, um, I mean, and if we're going to be honest, those are the real songs people remember from these movies. I will not lie, and I tell you right now, I remember Hero by Chad Kroger and Vindicated by Dashboard Confessional more than I remember the the theme of this movie. Vindicated is Absolutely. a bot. I will okay. throw in there. It to the death. I'm sure if Spider-Man 2 was meant to live, you'd be like, God, that's the only song I remember. That's not true. I like film scores more than any other band. So. Um... I Just believe uh, Sum 41 was also on the soundtrack. The what? Wasn't Sum 41 also on the Spider-Man yes, soundtrack? Yes, yeah. played immediately after. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I wasn't used to walking away from the TV before the credits were done to come record. I was like, oh, that's right. I'm not going to miss anything. I guess I go. But that was starting as I was leaving the room. I would be um, willing to bet, and Soundlord is the most likely person to correct me on this, that if I went through and counted how many times the Spider-Man leitmotif is used, it's used way more than you realize. Oh, it, I, I noticed it several times. And a couple, there are a couple of motifs that, that recur throughout that I noticed. Um, There's I, a goblin leitmotif, too, as well. Mm. which is one of the things that we've talked about this. So at this point, it's almost like beating a dead horse. It's one of the things that was left out of the MCU is not jumping on usable themes that identify characters. And that's something that this movie did. They've gotten much better about it. Yes, they've gotten better. Yes. Yeah. Ah, Peter, I see you have a leitmotif. Also, Aerosmith was on the soundtrack. Do you you remember that? Um, Aerosmith covered the 1960s Spider-Man theme? Yes, because uh, Steven Tyler and um, Joe Perry are massive Spider-Man nerds. They wrote the Spider... Joe Perry wrote the uh, 1990s Spider-Man cartoon. Yes! uh, That is a fact I had forgotten. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is is true. That is true. Um, We've gotten so far into this movie so far. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Um, okay, Page one I'm, of seven. I'm, I'm, hey, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna drop a pumpkin bomb right now, and we can just move on past it. I think I like the Michael Giacchino Spider-Man theme better. Okay, Eduardo, what's next? Ooh, hold on, we're not gonna I, run past that. I need to savor that. I need mm-hmm. to sit and savor now, now, in that. I, will, I, I, I literally oh. can't even think of what it is off the top of my head. The one from the MCU. And it has this cool little pizzicato part to it. I think it's really good and underrated. Um, mm-hmm. I, and this is not to say I don't like the Danny Elfman theme. I like the Danny Elfman theme a lot, too. Um Maybe it's just because Angela has a Spotify playlist that plays a bunch of Marvel songs, so it gets in my head more. I don't know, but uh, but I like it. I think it's good. Well, like I think for me, I don't think unless I had just watched this movie, I don't think I could sing this to you. And I've seen this movie a lot, and I don't think this this is not one that like sticks in my head for me personally. But there are a few out there that you asked me, and I could right off the top of my head go into you know and i just don't think this is one for me personally i mean if i'm it's, ranking I mean, I know this... ba- uh, superhero themes batman yes. i would i would put, yeah i definitely if think I, even batman if i'm just ranking elfman i would put i would put batman ahead of this i would put beetlejuice ahead of this um yeah for the record i agree with that yeah i just think that danny elfman did a better job of hero themes than most mcu composers did yeah but that's like saying oh you're getting an a on a test compared to a pile of rocks like it's that like the comparison there isn't most of the mcu is pretty bad about their themes right so yeah including just because Spider-Man. it's better than the mcu doesn't necessarily i feel like we've it. talked about how much we like the soundtracks in yeah 80 percent of our podcast yes we're what are we talking about the trap right now? of everyone says these things but we have pointed well, out several times well, now, now so, i would agree that they do not carry through as well yes. as they should have and that's but, what confuses but that, that's me. a thing that they have fixed that's also. what confuses me about robbie's comment in the notes is that we definitely spend almost every new movie talking about the soundtrack at some point but well, we talked about it with every tv talked, show too but <laughs> but we have repeatedly talked especially the lord family and myself about it's not that the, the soundtracks are necessarily bad. It's that that memorable hero theme tends to be lacking or, and the leitmotif mo- 
tends to be lacking from MCU films. And it is something they got better at, but they're mostly just they're mostly just fine, whereas it is it's a massive movie franchise that lacks scores on the level of a lot of other massive movie franchises like a Star Wars. I mean, you're and not wrong there. There are yeah. some Star Wars, and Star Wars is probably the best example of one that I could sing half of them off the top of my head. And yeah. there are certain points where they, they can make that theme like... It's, it's, I, it really like plays up a moment. Like, sure, you're, you're absolutely right. And I think that was something that a lot of... So the MCU did a whole lot of great things for superhero movies. A whole lot of great things. Um, but I do think that superhero movies prior to the MCU did a better job of the character leitmotif than the MCU mostly has done. Granted, the MCU has such a massive sample size, there are some films that do a great job of it. Like the Spider-Man movies. Now, the Avengers theme itself... <laughs> The Avengers theme itself is a ma- is an ex- is a uh, 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 masterpiece exception. Well, it is an exception. Yes, I can't think of the word. Oh, okay. <laughs> the Avengers theme itself is a Robbie threw error. Exception. Yeah. Exception. Yes. Well, we should probably talk about the movie now. I. We're past we're, the credits now. We have now talked about the credits for longer than the credits, <laughs> which I thought was impossible. Mission accomplished. We talk about everything longer than the thing itself. True. We did eight hours of Avengers Endgame. <laughs> in a voiceover set in New York, our hero, Peter Parker, this time played by Tobey Maguire. Uh, every time I hear Peter Parker now, I think, hey there, Peter Parker. Uh, tells us a story of his <laughs> life is not for the faint of heart, but at uh, its heart is a story about a girl. I have to interject here and say that what I wrote down here was that this opening monologue had big high school creative writing class energy. Yes. Yes, it did. Yes, you it know, did. Where you start off talking about, oh, the story I'm going to tell you is that little did I know that my life would change the very next day. Yeah. And he opens it with like, are you sure you want to know? I mean, I sat through three and a half minutes of credits. So yeah, I'm you should tell now. Me. Yeah, please tell me. It's Don't waste weird, any time. It's just such a weird statement. I remember thinking this way back remember thinking this way back with the trailer where it's like, it's acting like Spider-Man is some sort of scary hero that you're going to be afraid of hearing about. It's like, Oh no, nah, he's pretty popular and honestly kind of innocent. Like there's nothing. <laughs> right. I mean, maybe for the audience that they're going for though, they needed to preface and, it with that, I guess. And that's a good point. That's exactly the point that I wanted to make in a moment is this movie is still stuck in feeling like it, it has to apologize for being a superhero movie and has to take superhero movie and parse it through some sort of like lowest or what it thinks is lowest common denominator cliche story framework. And that's what's happening. And that's, that's why I hate spoiler every scene with Mary Jane in this, because it is, well, I I hate this Mary Jane too, by the way, Um, because it is just feeling like it's got to give some sort of like super basic cliche love story this whole thing where the guy gets bitten by the radioactive spider, it's actually about a girl because it feels like its audience still can't just enjoy a comic book superhero movie, which fortunately the point of this podcast is we've gotten away from that. But in 2002, we hadn't yet. Can we clip most of what Robbie just said and submit that as our amazing Spider-Man two podcast episode? Cause that's basically <laughs> amazing Spider-Man two. If it gets me out of watching amazing Spider-Man two, absolutely. But that oh, was even yeah, worse. Yeah. Amazing Spider-Man 2 was, was bluntly 
saying not just we need the cliche, but that we literally specifically need the Twilight audience. So, while also saying that this movie is about setting up five other movies that will never actually happen. I forgot about that. God, why are you doing this to me? We're not even watching it. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree with that, but then my wife loves Amazing Spider-Man 2, and she's definitely the Twilight audience, so... <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Maybe I'm not... She loves what? Oh, she's going to be on this episode, because she likes the Amazing Spider-Man movie. No, she does not. You have she to She does. She really likes them. We're full of surprises today, Robbie. <laughs> Everyone's full of surprises. The voiceover introduces us to the girl in question, riding to school on the bus, Mary Jane Watson. Meanwhile, Peter Parker himself chases after the bus to the laughter and derision of everyone on board, save Mary Jane, who insists the driver stop and let him on board. Uh, and then he like was like, I'll, I'd take that guy. And then it points to some guy that's overweight and is like, I'd even be that guy. Like, Shut the fuck up, Peter. Uh, hey, fat jokes. Yeah. We have to show that Peter Parker's cooler than someone. Right. Apparently. Ugh. There's, there's a few things in this movie that feel very outdated. I agree. Uh-huh. Uh, Peter and Mary Jane's bus drops off, drops them off at a high school class field trip to the science department of Columbia University. They are joined by Peter's best friend, Harry Osborn, Franco himself, dropped off in a Rolls Royce by his father, Norman. Harry introduces Peter to Norman, who tells Peter he is something of a scientist <laughs> himself. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know how many times I've watched this and go, from the meme? <laughs> there are so many memes in this movie. Yes. And is impressed that Peter understands papers Norman has written on nanotech. He's also, I think Impressive. Norman is a little too quick to be like, oh, Peter, you're so good. Because he's like, you read my papers? He's like, you read my like my research? And he's like, yeah, I did a paper on it. And he's like, oh my God, you did a paper? For all you know, his paper was shit. Like, what do you mean? Like, oh my God, you're the son I always wanted oh and God. never had. You wrote a paper on this thing. It could have been the worst paper of all time, but hey. I got a D plus. <laughs> At the science department, a researcher shows off a series of genetically enhanced super spiders with a range of unique abilities. Shout out to my favorite part of this whole opening sequence the teacher who is angrily whispering the whole time. Yes. <laughs> you talked through that man's entire presentation. Let's go have a conversation about listening. Yeah. Yeah, I, I enjoy this sequence setting up the concept of spiders for us. Yes. Because <laughs> we needed to know that spiders I know I webs. <laughs> I know I said this in the previous version, but I this is a, another part of the movie where it's like, man, you really spell in every, like you are holding every audience member's hand through this whole scene. Here's what this spider can do, and here's what this spider can do, and one day we're gonna combine all of them together, and look, that spider's missing that can do all of those things. Where did it go? And I like how she's like super chill about it. She's like, oh. No biggie, just one of right, these. Right, one of the one spiders of is missing. Oh, okay. Engineered spiders, but no, no, it's okay, it's fine. Probably like a $3 million spider, and she's just like, <laughs> Whatever. It's such a contrast to when, first of all, when he's in, introduced in Civil War, when he's just like, oh, I can do these things, and everyone's like, okay. And right. then the glossed over, so you got bit by a spider? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's the most we got. 
Because by then, when you've got a whole superhero universe, you just kind of accept right. that weird stuff happens. Yeah. And right. People get powers because of it. While taking, when you've already introduced Thor, you're like, okay, I can buy a guy getting bit by a spider. Right. While taking pictures of Mary Jane for the school paper, an escaped spider lands on Peter's hand and bites him, though he thinks nothing of it. I also think this scene is kind of weird because when he's like, can I take your picture for the paper? She's like, oh, sure. And then he takes one picture and then he takes another and then he just keeps taking pictures of her and it's like really weird and creepy and she's like going along with it, but it just, it felt super awkward the whole time. Yep. He's got super neck breather energy. Okay. Almost a hundred percent of the time that he talks to Mary Jane. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. the lab of Oscorp, Norman's company, Osborne shows a prototype glider to military representatives. The head of the group, General Robbie, can you pronounce that name for me? Slocum. Slocum. Oh God, what? Slocum, if you got him. Uh, expresses way is not interested <laughs> in the glider and wants to know about the experimental strength formula the army has been granting granting funding for. While Osborne boasts the formula is working, his assistant, Dr. Strom, says it causes insanity and violence and needs to be brought back to formula. Back to formula? Back to formula. <laughs> yes, the, the, the very normal phrase that everyone says. <laughs> Especially right after they gain superpowers. Back to formula. <laughs> you sound like Gilbert Gottfried, <laughs> <laughs> like Iago got the powers. Iago <laughs> <laughs> is the Green Goblin. How am I? God. Can I get an Abu Iago fan fiction where Abu is Spider-Man, but he's like a spider monkey, yes. and Iago is the Green Goblin? Oscorp under new management. <laughs> what a deep cut. That's me. Uh, Slocum tells Osborne he has two weeks to get the formula working, or he's pulling their funding and giving it to a prototype exoskeleton made by another company. Hmm. Prototype exoskeleton suit. Another company. We find out later it's not Stark, but like <laughs> Quest, I think. Quest or whatever, but yeah. Johnny you know, Quest. You know what they're doing. They make nutrition bars now. They do. Full circle. Sony does. After they got blown Stark. up, they're like, oh, we got to get out of this business. <laughs> At home, Peter's uncle Ben Parker talks about his recent unemployment with his wife, May. Why did I just read that? <laughs> why, do, May. why do we care? <laughs> it's important he doesn't know anything about computers all these people computer analysts computer engineers there's people analyzing the computers now like seriously i thought of the homer simpson like oh the internet they have that on computers now (laughs) even the computers need computers Yo, dog. (laughs) (laughs) Peter arrives home, but doesn't talk to his aunt and uncle and instead passes out in bed. As he sleeps, an early 2000s CGI sequence shows Peter's DNA altering. Ooh. I really wish we could have instead gotten the DNA from uh, Jurassic Park telling us about (laughs) Peter's DNA changing. Spider DNA! DNA. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. 
They sell all this Mr. DNA merchandise at Universal Studios now, and I want it all. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because apparently he's, pass. Part, he's in the Velocicoaster uh, pre-show, apparently. So That's neat. Ooh. Yeah. Spoiler. I'm salty about that because the site kept crashing when I tried to do my preview. Oh, man. Sad. Anyway. Back at the Ozcrop Labs. <laughs> Ozcrop. I know it's supposed to be Ozcrop, but I really wanted to read <laughs> My apologies to San Diego in advance. Uh, Norman insists on testing the formula on himself to prove it works against Strom's protest. The formula successful, successfully excuse me, gives it, it Osborne super strength, <laughs> but he angrily lashes out and kills Dr. Strom before running away with a psychotic grin. This is just the plot of Incredible Hulk so far. He tried <laughs> to recreate the, the super soldier serum and turned into a green bad guy. That's right, that's right. For the record, I actually had the script open because it exists on the internet, like the, the actual uh, Sam Raimi's script treatment for this. Uh, while I was working on these notes, and it described that grin as the cat has eaten the canary. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Peter wakes up the next day, now able to see without his glasses and with a shockingly chiseled physique, because it's, it's one thing we know about spiders is they have good eyesight. As he leaves for school... They got eight eyes. They must see pretty well. Yeah, he's now got the power of eight eyes in two. No, that's... Yep, that's what it is. As he leaves for school, Uncle Ben reminds Peter they are repainting the kitchen together after school. Uh, Don't forget Michelangelo or something. He calls him Michelangelo. While he daydreams... I don't get the turtles reference. Yeah, me either. (laughs) While he daydreams at the bus stop... Another New York superhero. ...about talking to Mary Jane, the bus again leaves him behind. As he chases after it and slaps it with his hand, his fingers stick to a banner on the side of the bus and rip it off. At school in the cafeteria, Mary Jane starts to slip and fall, but Peter shows off impressive reflexes and is able to catch both her and her lunch tray. Robin, that was like in the trailers the too. When you wrote these, mm-hmm. when you wrote these, did I what? You said you were reading the script when you wrote these. Yes. We are getting into impressive detail about this movie right now. I was writing really fast. I didn't have time. Fast? Normally I delete, no, normally I delete a lot of stuff once I start editing. I see. Feel free to skip things. <laughs> You're allowed. I don't know what I'm supposed to be. The I next read day it first. at the World Unity Festival. <laughs> <laughs> After this, mysterious webbing comes out of his wrist and sticks to his tray. As he attempts to break free, he throws the tray into the head of Mary Jane's boyfriend and class bully. Flash Thompson, or that one guy from How I Met Your Mother that goes to law school with Marshall. Uh, Thompson angrily confronts Peter in the hall, but Peter shows off the ability to sense incoming danger and fast movement. He easily avoids Flash's attacks and then ends the fight with a single punch that launches Thompson across the school. I don't believe that Mary Jane would be, even for a second, like mad at Peter for defending himself. Right. Like, that's one scene where I'm finally like, okay, Tobey Maguire did cool thing. Right. And then she looks at him like, you've never disappointed me this much in my life. Like, did you just watch your boyfriend try to beat me up, dude? So, not to defend this movie's Mary Jane, because I'm really going to try not to do that ever, but I definitely did take that look as more of a, like, who are you? I didn't know you. Less of an anger and more of a, you're not mild-mannered Peter Parker. 
Really? Because it looks to me more like, how could you do this? Yeah. You're strong. Yeah, like sure. a spider. <laughs> also, real quick, uh, this movie does a pretty good job on a lot of Spider-Man stuff, but it does a terrible job on like what Flash Thompson is. And I think that just gets back to kind of Peach's point earlier, where they shorthand a lot of things for their idea of what the lowest common denominator is. Flash Thompson is not, you know, boring, routine, schoolyard bully like he is in this movie. Like, this is just a, a stupid dolt who likes to punch people. Um, one of the things I like about the MCU Spider-Man is they made their Flash Thompson a nerd, and that's a little, like, off. But other than that, like, it is a... It's Flash Thompson. He's a rich dude who's kind of got a sad life, and like Spider-Man, he's just jealous of Peter Parker. This Flash is dumb yeah but at this more. point in the comics in general had flash even done anything like the flash yeah. the no, flash, flash was still a didn't happen until 2011 no he wasn't venom yet he was just a side character um he hadn't been as important as he had been in the 60s yet uh or again but he was he would show up at this point he was more friendly to spider-man though at like okay in this point in the comics history he was more friendly but the flash from the high school years of spider-man not, you know, not necessarily a, a good dude, but he's not as just one-dimensional jock as this one is. Toby doesn't dunk on him, though. That's true. I guess, I guess for the purposes of this movie, they didn't need him past, we need to demonstrate that Peter Parker right. is strong now. Right, right. And now I've now, now a two-second point I wanted to make has been derailed, but that's fine. Um, you're right. After running away from school, Peter starts to discover his new abilities. Tiny hairs on his fingers allow him to climb the wall of a building. Enhanced speed and jumping abilities allow him to jump across rooftops. Webs come organically from his wrists. No web shooters required. And he attempts to use them to swing across the sky, though ends up smashing into a billboard. With the benefit of hindsight, how do we all feel about organic web shooters? Um... I am going to make all of you go through this again because <laughs> I don't even remember <laughs> one thing. So we talked, we talked pretty positively about it. I, I wasn't going to give you a synopsis of the previous episode. What I was going to say was the thing that I realized when I was talking about it was um, that we all agreed it would probably hurt a lot <laughs> for the web to come out and then him to grab on it. And if it's not fully disconnected from his wrist by that point, he's, swinging on a web that is also partially in his wrist can you imagine like it sucks getting an iv that's probably exactly what it feels like every time he shoots a web mm-hmm. yeah or like imagine i mean pulling a huge you know you ever like you gotta get a hair pulled stop. out of stop some, yeah yeah <laughs> i'm gonna be well you weren't on the episode soundlord how do you feel about organic web shooters uh i mean i get since when I first saw this movie, I don't think I realized because I wasn't like a big Spider-Man fan going in. I, I never thought about where the webs came from. So I was just like, oh, OK. And looking back now, I'm so used to web shooter Spider-Man mm-hmm. that it's like, why? Why did we make that choice? Was it just to not have him have to invent it? Well, yes. We've already established that he's really smart and you could have done it. You know, we got a montage. Yeah, of him. he wrote a paper. <laughs> he wrote a paper, so we know he's smart. <laughs> we got a montage of him designing the costume, so we know he's creative. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, just. I think the Amazing Spider-Man for all the things it did wrong, it 
at least kind of showed him like tinkering and okay, I, I yes. figured this out. I he I did did he like steal it from Oscorp and like design it to his own to a degree, but it was like invented by his father, right? So it was more like it was reclaimed. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And well, and that was when the Amazing Spider-Man did mechanical web shooters. My brain was definitely oh, I'm gonna like this, and we'll get to how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was angry about the organic web shooters when I first saw this movie. I don't think it bothers me as much anymore. I don't. I mean, it's not like worth it, getting angry about, but. But yeah, I, I remember being in the theater and my brother just goes, "What the hell!" Like loud enough. <laughs> if you don't know anything about superheroes, and th- like maybe this is your first su- superhero movie, or you just haven't seen that mm-hmm. many, it's not that far fetched of an idea. Like it is, and it isn't at the same time because yes. you're like, yeah, this guy has. Spider things. He does spider things. I guess he can shoot yeah. them. Sure, right. whatever. It's like you're not going to be like, I can, I can buy him crawling on walls. Right. But webs out of his wrist. Right. And that's ridiculous. That's where I draw the line. Yeah. Right. And Dead Horse again. I think they were wrong for not thinking audiences could handle a real superhero movie. But this was before we had multiple billion dollar making yeah. unapologetic superhero movies. You know, if they took out the 42 minutes of this movie where Peter Parker is just staring at Mary Jane, then they could have totally had time to make a Peter makes the organic or the <laughs> mechanical web shooter scene. They would have just used those 42 minutes for more credits. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> they would have played the entire uh, Nickelback or just Chad Kroger soundtrack. <laughs> you know, I'll preface this by saying that when I watched this movie, I was 11, and I was very upset about the organic web shooters as an 11 year old would be. Um, High five. And now that I'm older, I don't care at all. Mostly mm-hmm. because the web shooters track High Five haven't really come into play in any other Spider-Man movie that I like. Like none of them are like. They're not really used that interestingly. Like the most interesting use of a web shooter is when Peter is teaching Miles in um in Into the Spider-Verse. That is the only interesting use of a web shooter in a Spider-Man property. Like I don't think the MCU Spider-Man, like they cover the web shooters at one point. They talk about how Peter made this like this 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 material that, you know, is super strong or whatever, and he he like created the web shooter himself. But besides that, it's not really used that well except to like be a piece that he wears on his wrist so like i don't think it like makes that much of a difference it's for that drama it for like... that i ran out of fluid oh yeah, no yeah, yeah. that's weird that makes it sound like amazing like uh into the spider verse just has a better grasp on how to use the character in a movie than... i mean hear me has out he here, ever run out though but in tom holland i think it's far from home i i any of them yeah, no, no, he none of the out. movies he has he out. ever run out but that's like a common thing that no, happens he runs out like... he runs out in far from home does he mm-hmm. yeah it's not Important enough for you to remember when. it clearly. I'm not, it's not super important to the movie, but yes, he does run out in the bridge fight. Okay. Yeah. Mm. It is completely forgivable that you've forgotten. Yeah, maybe what I'm saying here is Into the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man movie ever. But hey, I don't we'll think we all argue that on this podcast. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> How dare you say My the thing cabbages. I At the Norman residence, Harry finds Norman on the ground, passed out. Norman has no memory of the night before, and two Oscorp employees arrive to tell him Strom is dead and the experimental glider has been taken. I love this interaction because it's so goddamn unnatural. (laughs) With the lady that comes in to tell him that, uh, sir, 
And he's like, don't disturb me. And she's like, sir, the Dr. Strom is dead. And he's, and he's like, what? And, and she, she's like, and the glider and this. And he's like, what about the glider and the suit? <laughs> like, get on with it. <laughs> she like piecemeals it so that he can respond. And then he, he's like, what about the glider and the suit? It's so unnatural. It's so funny. She's like vague, vague booking. Yeah, she's like being super vague <laughs> with this boss that she's trying to tell all these things to. Guess what we did and didn't find in the lab. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really want you to guess. <laughs> Three guesses. Come well, on. I, I hope the answer to the first is the glider and the and the suit, and the answer to the second is a dead body. And like, mm, <laughs> nope, sorry, reverse nope. it. Try again. <laughs> it rhymes so with close. It rhymes with head from. <laughs> dead strong. Dead Tom. <laughs> dead Tom's dead. Long John shot him. <laughs> that night, Peter encounters Mary Jane, also his next rude neighbor, nice job, Robert, <laughs> hiding from her father's abuse of her and her mother. Uh, the two start to connect over Peter's memories of MJ's past school performances, but are interrupted when Flash arrives to show off his new car. Realizing he needs a cool car, Peter shops the classified and sees an ad for winning three grand by surviving a match with the professional wrestler Bonesaw! Bonesaw's ready! (laughs) That was pretty good. Oh, Snap into well, a skinny John. I want to be a macho man. <laughs> Uncle Ben and Aunt May discuss their concerns over what's going on with Peter when Peter leaves to go to the wrestling match. Ben insists on driving him. When Peter drops, when excuse me, when Ben drops Peter off, he tries to get through to his nephew about what has been going on, causing a fight as the younger Parker refuses to open him up about what's happening to him. Ben reminds his nephew, his nephew that with great power comes great responsibility. But Peter angrily counters that Ben is not his father and leaves. You're not my father. Thank you. I can't not laugh at that. Peter, I might not be your father, but I am <laughs> Peter enters the match using a costume that hides his identity and the name Spider-Man and is put in a cage match with Bonesaw. And and I have to just put up Octavia Spencer is the one who signs him in. Yes. <laughs> I, okay, it's been so long since I saw this movie. I forgot she was in it. I forgot, or or I never realized she was in it. Never realized Joe Manganiello was in it. Um, Elizabeth Banks. I'd forgotten Elizabeth Banks was yeah, in it. Yeah. Uh, Lucy Lawless is in it? I did not, but she's... Wait, who is Lucy Lawless? It's Punk Girl. <laughs> It's interesting to think... I think it's just a cameo. But... Oh. Yeah, it's interesting to think that, like, when this movie came out, we were all my, we were like, oh my god, Bruce Campbell. It's a Sam Raimi film. There's Bruce Campbell. And now we're all like, oh, look, it's the guy from How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to go on as Man Spider. What a dork. Using his new abilities, Peter is able to avoid the knockout Macho Man Randy Savage, the crowd chants of Spider-Man. After the match, the promoter pays Peter only $100, saying instead of surviving three minutes, he pinned Bonesaw two. When Parker protests, the promoter tells him, I missed the part where that's my problem. Or memes. 
That's that's some McDonald's chicken nugget math right there. You can get you can get ten chicken nuggets for five dollars, or you can get twenty for five dollars and twenty cents. Yeah, you survived two thirds of the time I asked for it in the paper. So here's one thirtieth of the amount of money I was going to pay you. <laughs> that last minute is the hardest. <laughs> Amen. Uh, as he leaves angry. Speaking of Slocum. promoter at gunpoint and runs away with a bag of cash. Parker refuses to stop the thief and allows him to escape in an elevator. When the promoter complains, Parker mocks him with, I missed the part where that's my problem. Ooh, Got it. Ironic echo. Zing. Honestly, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like a like some sort of hippie liberal or something. But at this point, I don't think Peter's done anything wrong. Like no, that asshole should have gotten robbed. Peter shouldn't have stopped him. Like right, insurance exists. That man has a gun. Like I just, <laughs> <laughs> I just, <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was karma coming back at this. Like no, like absolutely yeah. not. It's meant to play off like irony, right? Like yeah. you didn't stop this guy and he killed your uncle, but you're right. Like why should he have stopped that guy? No, <laughs> he was just like, wrong. You're supposed to feel bad about always doing the right thing, but maybe the right thing there is letting the guy get away with the money. That's what I feel. I think, also, yeah, I think any any option that gets you not shot by the end of it yes. is yeah. not a bad option. <laughs> and the first guy that shows up to the elevator that's not Peter Parker that's chasing after the criminal is a is a cop yes yeah why didn't the cop take care of it <laughs> yeah he's like how come you didn't stop him i'm like that's because uh, that's your job right so, yeah with all due respect officer on his way back from the match peter finds a crowd and police gathered where ben was supposed to pick him up peter pushes through the crowd to find uncle ben on the ground with a gunshot wound following a carjacking uncle ben dies in front of peter Peter listens to the police saying they have found the carjacker and are in pursuit, and he angrily puts on his mask and runs that direction. You ever notice in movies, whenever there's like a police scene, the main character always runs to the front because they just know that they someone they care about is in the middle of that police scene. Just once I want to see a movie where they push the way to the front and it's someone they've never seen before, and they're like, oh, okay. I was just curious. I was, was going to go with the yeah. obvious I was going to go with the obvious. It's like, oh, there's a police scene. Well, I'm going to keep moving. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> doesn't know. seem like I should stay away from that. That looks like a, <laughs> that looks important. I'll stay away. After a long breath and a leap of faith from a rooftop, Spider-Man teaches himself to web swing from building to building, spotting the police chase and catching up to the car. Robbie, you like the music here. That's as much yeah, good like as you get. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I like the whole thing. We've already talked enough about the the uh, soundtrack. I guess we've already covered it, but I just still really get hyped with this scene. Uh, it was so cool to actually see Spider Man swinging on screen. It was fantastic, and then the Danny Elfman score really makes the scene even even better. It it, it is a fantastic, you know, light motif. We've already talked about, it. and then. Part of what makes me really excited about the Miles sequence in the Spider-Verse, on top of just being great on its own, uh, is I'm fairly certain it is supposed to be a little bit of an homage to the uh, the Sam Raimi first web-swinging scene. So 
Um, yeah, I love this. It's fantastic. All of my energy for talking about how great the scene is has been sapped away already. It's <laughs> <laughs> my one job here today, Robert. You know, I will say, um, I don't think it's a fair comparison, but when I think of great scores, one of the properties that stands out to me the most is Avatar The Last Airbender. That TV show's score is maybe one of the best that I've ever heard. And I could recite all of those songs to you. And it's not just reciting the songs. It's their use in a lot of the scenes that they do there are like so emotional that like, I like, I feel things every time I hear the songs now. And I, I I'm secret tunnel. That, like leaves from the vine will get me to sob every time. Um, there are a few songs like the, um, I don't know what instrument it's playing on, but the boom, it's on like a it's not even it's like a like a marumba almost like i don't know what the instrument that they're using is yeah i know what i know what song you're talking about exactly i don't i can't name the instrument though uh but that that it usually plays at the credits of like a like a sappy ending sometimes it sometimes plays during the the episode um Mm -hmm. like i think of the ending of the show it plays there right before a very large swell like i think some of that stuff and and i think that's maybe what i'm missing here like to me, it's not just using, and maybe I'm changing my story here a little bit, but it's not just using the score. It's making me feel something while the score is being used, and I don't think this does that for me. I can't recall any of the Avatar music. <laughs> Dude who took uh, three years to get through season one. <laughs> yeah, that, that's because you're wrong. I Look, don't get me started, <laughs> but... Avatar The Last Airbender is way better than this movie. I would put that whole series up against most things of fiction and it would come out on top. That's only because it doesn't have Kirsten Dunst. That's not a fair comparison. I mean, it is a fair (laughs) comparison. Like, why can't they be compared still? It's illegal. When people say apples to oranges, why can't two fruit be compared? You can't compare two things that are different. Yeah. That is such a strange phrase. Whoever invented that phrase, why did they pick two fruits? I they, will happily they... compare apples and oranges. Like, yes, yeah, now you've got me on a soapbox. They should have said, like, they should have said, like, you can't compare apples and porcupines. Like, that's... I mean, you still can. Like, yeah, you one's can. spiky, one's not. <laughs> but My I'm just saying it's a little better than oranges. Put them together, you get a pineapple. For anyone listening to this that does not already know, my personal motto in life is I can and will compare any two things if I feel like it. Any two things. You give me two things, I will compare them. You cannot stop me. You can't compare fart jokes to sex jokes, Robbie. I compare will. them. I, ha- I hate both of them, and I will compare them quietly. Details. No. Um, steak and mattress in a box. Well, mattress in a box isn't edible, therefore it's inferior to steak. Unless it's a well-done steak, and then I'll take the mattress in the box. Yeah. True. Okay, I'm convinced. Oh, another one. A scene. There is a scene specifically that includes Zuko and Iroh. And when the movie, (laughs) when the music plays in that scene, every time I cry. Every single time. In the cell? Not in the cell. In the tent. Okay. Like if you cry over Tim. Yes. In the tent. In the tent, yes. That was my next guess. Spider-Man lands on the car, and after a brief fight, it crashes into an abandoned warehouse. 
Inside, the mugger desperately tries to escape from Parker, including our first film shot of Spider-Man's iconic upside-down webhang. Peter eventually beats his uncle's killer to a pulp, but as he begs for his life, Peter recognizes him as the same mugger he let escape in the elevator, except when in Spider-Man 3 we realize this wasn't even the guy that killed Ben Parker at all uh, and was just his partner. Oh, yeah. What a fun retcon. Stop. (laughs) You're going to get me going. (laughs) While Parker stands stunned, the thief pulls a gun on him, but his spider sense and strength kick in, disarming the shooter who falls backwards through a window to his death. Peter returns home to console Aunt May. At Quest Aerospace, General Slocum watches the test of their flying exoskeleton announcing he will be happy to pull Oscorp's funding. As the test stops, however, a cackling figure flying the Oscorp glider appears and kills everyone on site with a volley of rockets. I understand where the suit came from. Do we know where he got the mask from? Did he make that? If I remember correctly, this may be something I'm just making up, but I'm pretty sure somewhere on like one of the commentaries, they discussed that the idea was it's like a... You're going to laugh, and that's fair. So I'm going to warn you, you're going to laugh, and it's fair. There was like a tribal mask that he owned and wore. Oh, because he had all those different yeah, he masks does in have his gallery? Yes. yes. Okay, well, the glad actual, it matched the exact hue of his suit. The actual answer is that the animatronic goblin mask that they made didn't work well enough. Oh, Do you know? Yeah. I've seen the video of that. That would have been cool. Yeah. When I was yes. when I was younger and I watched this movie, I did not notice this, but re-watching this as an adult, like when we did for the pilot episode, I saw through the mesh of the mouth of the goblin mask, mm-hmm. and I couldn't not see Willem Dafoe's mouth the whole time. And something about that was really awkward. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just watching a man talk with his mouth through another mouth—I don't know—it just feels weird. So the 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 we're not so different, you and I scene. I vividly remember the first time I saw this movie in theaters. What I thought about was that scene made me think of a xenomorph and like his his inner jaw was going to come out and go through Peter's head. <laughs> See, I just remember thinking that like, I mean, yes, I noticed that, but also the way he has to talk, he looks like a theme park character who doesn't have an articulated <laughs> mouth. So he's just like exaggeratedly moving his head. He's like, yeah, Peter Parker, you come with me. I think we're going to go this way. How tall do you think you have to be to be the Green Goblin fur character? You think when Green Goblin walks, he has to bounce his head so every other step you can see the ground? Yeah. <laughs> There's actually probably a real answer to this. Anybody that works at Universal, just oh, let yeah. us know. <laughs> of course, that Green Goblin also can talk. Yeah. Yeah. And looks like the comic Green Goblin for the most part. Peter and his class later celebrate graduation in the park. Peter and Harry announce they will be moving in together, and Mary Jane breaks up with Flash. Norman Don't care. stops to console Peter over the loss of Uncle Ben and tells him to reach out should he ever need anything. After the ceremony, Peter thinks about Ben and reflects on the words, with great power comes great responsibility. The thoughts start a montage of Peter creating his Spider-Man costume and the beginning of the wall crawler's crime-fighting career. We see him take out various thugs and news reports interviewing locals who both love and hate him. This is a very good part of the movie. I think yes, this whole I, I... neighborhood Spider-Man-y thing where he's just helping. But once again, 
believe it or not, when the hero is being a hero and just helping people, it makes the hero more likable. Yes. I really like a good superhero does a bunch of crime fighting montage. This is this is maybe my favorite part of the movie. That being said, one of my if not my least favorite one of these is in a movie that we'll, we will be talking about four movies from now. And it is the worst montage. The skateboarding one? Of all time. Is that the one at the end of Spider-Man 2? Oh, never mind. Amazing oh, that's, I thought, that's the first one I thought no, about. The no. one at the was end just of like... Amazing Spider-Man 2 is maybe the worst montage of all time. Yeah. yeah. I remember so You're little right. of that movie. I, the the I main thing it. I remember for that movie is that Angela fell asleep in the theater. I remember Lucky. Rhino being on all of the promotional material, and then we get Rhino at the very end of the movie, and me being very upset because Paul Giamatti is Rhino sounds really cool. Uh-huh. My main memory is trying to like just wishing like I had this inexplicable bi- feeling that I just had to find someone to punch the first time I saw what the Green Goblin looked like. Like just <laughs> just I have to hurt a person because of this. I gotta say about this montage, I realize I should have given my. I won't tell you who I give my MVP to yet, but I should have given it to the guy who looks at the camera and yells, he stinks and I hate him. (laughs) Some kind of freak job. Wackadoo. (laughs) Finally. Guy with eight arms. Sounds hot. Oh, God. Wait, is that Lucy Lawless? Yes. Okay. That's punk girl. (laughs) Just realized. Just realized. That's Ron Swanson's wife. In my head, I heard the voice. (laughs) Finally, we see Spider-Man on the cover of the Daily Bugle while the editor-in-chief, J. Jonah Jameson, insists he's a criminal and demands someone bring him more pictures of Spider-Man in order to make him infamous. Later, Peter runs into Mary Jane, finding out she is working at a diner and has been dating Harry, which Harry failed to ever mention to his friend and roommate. Peter heads home, where Norman asks about who Harry has been dating, but he refuses to answer in front of Peter. Norman, having taken a liking to Peter, offers him a job at Oscorp, but Peter declines, seeing the ad for pictures of Spider-Man in the Bugle. What a weird interaction as well. Like, yes. let me tell you one thing. If I'm like, ooh, freelance photographer, job at a giant corporation that my friend's dad owns. Sorry, guys, maybe I'm not a hard enough worker, but I'm going to take the cushy job that my friend's dad is super successful. It's because he secretly got a D-plus on that paper, man. <laughs> he didn't want to admit it. It's like when you get offered a job and you don't take it because you're like, nah, nah, I'm going to get exposed. This will not go well. <laughs> Parker rigs up a camera while he stops a bank heist, then takes the photos to Jameson at the Bugle. Jonah buys them, but continues to insist Spider-Man is a menace, despite Peter's protests. Something I noticed in the first Jameson scene, by the way, um, first of all, this movie does a lot of just casually mentioning big Spider-Man characters in one line and then never addressing it again, although they come back later. But he mentions that Eddie can't get a good picture of him. And on the TV, I noticed behind J. J.K. Simmons, behind that guy on the TV, when he mentions Eddie... You see a pile of black goo. In the script, I don't remember that. In the script, there's an entire interaction with Eddie where they call him Brock. He insults Peter. Like, Eddie Brock was supposed to be in this movie. And I believe, if I understand correctly, scenes were shot with him. They were just edited out. Was it Topher Grace? It was not Topher Grace. Okay. You mean the man who killed that 70s show? Yep. All of this is fun. 
and Spider-Man 3. <laughs> and Spider-Man 3. He killed both of the All properties of this... he was in instead of and his whole career. Of them. Hey, he Man. was in that movie where he dated Scarlett Johansson. That was fine. Good for him. Um, yeah, no, it, it's also weird considering that Sam Raimi hates Venom. I mean, it's all very clear now that he hates Venom, but... <laughs> yeah. Stop. <sighs> when are we going to get a good Venom movie? When are, gonna, when are we going to get a good Venom period? You didn't like the last one? This is sarcasm, listener. Dear listener, <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. You know, if we ever do that movie, I'll be very interested because I know a lot of people who like that movie and I just kind of don't talk about it. My main problem with that movie is that this alien symbiote shows up on Earth, inhabits Eddie Brock's body, and then just like, he just knows perfect English well enough to say ridiculous slang that doesn't jive with the... Like, I... (laughs) He makes me uncomfortable the way he talks. I think some of that can I, I, be. Uh, we're not even doing a Venom episode, but I think some of that can be attributed to when the yeah, symbiote Amazing Spider-Man bonds with the host. He like learns some of the stuff that the host knows and things like that. Maybe that's sure. part of it, but I still don't think it's a good movie. I think it's a bad. I think my yeah. problem with that movie is that I don't care about what they're doing hundred percent of the time. Like it's a better yeah. Venom than Spider-Man Three did, but sure. that's like like you said. A plus versus bag of rocks. It's... Well, right. And this dude, Tom Hardy is not doing a bad job. Like he's doing a good job with what he's been given. Is it the Eddie Brock I want to see? Probably not, but I don't think traditional Eddie Brock works as a, as a starring character. Like, I don't think traditional Eddie Brock is an interesting enough leading character. So change him up. Sure. Whatever. But I don't care about what they're doing. I don't care about the villain. I think it's all right. I don't even well, remember who the villain is. It's some other symbiote it, that I couldn't it's, name. Uh, it's, it's Havoc, I think. Is it? I think it's Havoc. Sure. Um, yeah, it, it's a, it, You could have said a, anything. I would have believed you. You could have symbiote. said it's it's Doritos, and I would have been it, like, oh, yeah, Doritos. Yeah, the it was a symbiote, that guy. It was a symbiote that they used in the 90s. Like, there is a source for it, but right, exactly. It's not a headlining villain. And I think this, the root of the problem, now that we're talking, now this is a Venom podcast, the root of the problem is that Venom works because of how he connects to Spider-Man. Like, that is an important part of Venom is the Spider-Man connection. And then yeah. they just decided, let's do a Venom movie without Spider-Man. And it's like, it's you so are... weird to me. It's like if WB said, you know what people want? A Bizarro movie. But we're not going to mention Superman in it. Mm-hmm. Or, like, just doing a movie just about the Joker. Like, just... Yeah, that would be ridiculous. <laughs> we do live in a society. I don't know. Maybe I disagree just a little bit. I think, specifically in the comics and everything, Venom has taken on a life of its own. And while he started... Oh, yeah, the big comic... I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm not disagreeing with that. And I think there is a way to do it correctly, but I think you need to have him interact with Spider-Man at some point, though. Yes. He can have his own movie, but there needs to be the duality. You need to understand why these guys are yin and yang, right? Why they are... So close, but so different. And they even could have gone, you know, we talked about the MCU, just throws Tom Holland Spider-Man in there, doesn't feel the need to do every all of his backstory. That's, you know, that ends up actually working very well for the most part. And I think you can do that with Venom. I think there was, there was no reason other than playing well with Marvel and so on. It, there's no reason you can't have his backstory is connected to Spider-Man, but we're not going to explain that in this movie. But ultimately that character is not going to work as well as he does if that is not the root of the character. Right. Well, we're super off track. Wow. 
At a festival We're in talking. Times Square, Macy Gray sings a few bars of something that never charted while Peter takes photos. Uh, <laughs> interestingly enough, uh, not only did our did on our original Spider Cut episode, I think this was Mary J. Blige. On my rewatch just now, earlier today, I was like, "Oh, look, it's Mary J. Blige," and was uh, interested to find out they, it is once again still just Macy Gray. They even literally say in the script that it is Macy Gray. <laughs> it was never Mary J. Blige. It was Macy Gray the whole time. It was Macy Gray all along. <laughs> Peter spots Harry with Mary Jane in a really interesting dress on a balcony surrounded by the Oscorp board. The festival is interrupted by the glider pilot who bombed Quest Aerospace with a maniacal laugh and a helmet with a grinning green goblin face. The goblin wreaks havoc on the festival, destroying balloons and structures that endanger onlookers and killing the Oscorp board with a bomb and the words, Out, am I? The explosions <laughs> cause Mary Jane to fall from the balcony and dangle perilously above so the streets like below. <laughs> By turning them all into cartoon CGI skeletons. <laughs> it's like it's like it just takes them all back to Jason and the Argonauts and they die. Yes. <laughs> Why didn't he just kill them with a pumpkin bomb? What was that device? Why did they put that in the it's, I know, it's Sam Raimi, but still. Just... Why didn't he use one of those on everyone? Why didn't he use one of those on Spider-Man? You know, he had to use his bomb that explodes into flying knives first. <laughs> you don't have many uses for that one, I guess. Yeah. He's like the green arrow of bombs. And this bomb just explodes into a boxing glove. <laughs> Peter puts on his Spider-Man costume and then fights the Goblin. The two are evenly matched and trade heavy blows, but Spider-Man is able to rid, uh, to get rid of the Goblin by pulling out cables from his glider, sending it spiraling out of control. With the Goblin gone, Spider-Man rescues Mary Jane just before she's able to fall and swings her to the safety of a Rockefeller Center roof garden. Mary Jane asks who he is, and he simply responds with, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, before swinging away. It's interesting this is where you put this in the notes because I don't love Tobey Maguire as Spider-Man, but I like him as Peter Parker. And this, it's okay. It's your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man and he swings away. But I think, I don't know. I think I like the way that they portray Toby as Peter. Like, I think he plays an okay Peter, even though some of his lines are really weird and he acts kind of creepy. I think he gets kind of like nerdy Peter more correct than some of the other spider-man uh-huh. portrayals but uh-huh. i think his spider-man is also yeah among the weakest and i don't know if he is the weakest or not yeah i can't say positively that he is not the weakest i think as spider-man I think as Sp- i'm gonna say he is I'm, as spider-man as, i think he is know. the weakest spider-man despite mm-hmm. the rating i'm gonna give this movie i agree with literally everything you just said and despite the ratings that I'm going to give the Amazing Spider-Man movies, I agree too right. mm-hmm. that Andrew Garfield yeah. was a really good Spider-Man. Right. Yes. Yep. I agree with all that. I think Toby, and specifically, I think Tobey Maguire is the a great six one six Spider-Man, and I think Tom Holland is a great Ultimate Spider-Man. If mm. we're getting really specific, oh, I'm sorry, not Spider-Man. Peter Parker. Peter Parker. I don't think he's a good a great Spider-Man. And and to be clear, I don't think it's necessarily that Tobey Maguire is a bad Spider-Man. I think Tobey Maguire was Spider-Man in a movie where they didn't really write Spider-Man very well. Yeah. Um, the movie's fine. 
the action is fine. The kind of the narrative and the themes are fine, but Spider-Man being a silent protagonist is definitively incorrect. Like, I just can't get, but like, I can't agree. I can't meet you guys there on this one because I, I can't get by how awkward and neck breather and just absolutely creepy he is. Like, I don't care how well you play nerd, nerd Peter Parker. If you make me feel like icky when I'm watching you, like it, it, in any scene where he talks to Mary Jane, it's just like, dude who he watched her throw away his chewing gum and he picked it up out of the trash can and put it in his shrine. Like, I don't, it, (laughs) that's the vibe I get from Peter Parker in this movie. Like, I don't, I can't, I can't, I don't know. I don't have words. I just don't agree with you. Okay. Peter Parker is nerdy and awkward, but he's not like that, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. And even if he is in the comics, that's still creepy. I don't think anybody disagrees with that point. The point being is that the other two versions of Peter Parker are, I think, much cooler than Peter Parker traditionally is portrayed. And that's maybe neither good nor bad. This one is just more like... He's just a bigger nerd, dude. Like, you can't tell me you put Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and Tom Holland all next to each other. You're going to be like, Tobey Maguire, he's clearly the nerdiest one out of these fuckers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, with Tom Holland, it's almost it's not so much that Tom Holland's Peter Parker is cool, it's almost like he's almost not a super you don't original think, You don't think that Tom Holland's Peter Parker is nerdy? I think he's the nerdy. One who, but he's the one who's like, huge... let me build a Lego Death Star. Yeah. He's, he's nerdy, but he's just got such a big loyal friend base. And I think that's the I think that's the big thing. I think here's where Eduardo's right. Does he? He yes. has Ned. Yes. Peter Park, comic book Peter Parker, specific, especially high school and college Peter Parker, his big thing was more, and this is, I relate to you guys, I'm close to you guys, and I have a friend group, but growing up, I basically did not have friends. I didn't have the social ability to connect to people or, or have friends. And that's really what Peter Parker is. Peter Parker is a socially awkward dude who has trouble having any friends whatsoever. And that was Honestly, part of what I liked Spider-Man about growing up was that I connected to, hey, look, that dude's like me. Then he puts on tights and doesn't kill people. Does not kill people. Beats you people don't up. I don't know how. I don't know how like me. Well, he kills people. I do that. <laughs> Maybe this is an MCU movie after all. <laughs> Activate instant kill mode. So, but that's what I'm getting at is. Tom Holland, and it's not that Tom Holland completely misses the mark. And particularly, I think he actually comes pretty close to the ultimate Spider-Man mark, which is totally fine because ultimate Spider-Man was for a while also great. Um, but I think to Eduardo's point, I think this Tobey Maguire, yes, he's a little bit, like you said, neck breathy at times. I'm not saying that's good, but I'm saying he gets closer to the Peter Parker target because of the ostracis, the, the fact that he's ostracized, the fact that he has the anxiety that has trouble making him close to people. Um, like when Harry, when when Peter Parker first goes to college, even Harry Osborn is not his friend because he just he has trouble connecting with people. Partly for his own problems, he's aloof and up and and too obsessed with his own aunt. And so I, I think Eduardo was right. I think Hello. that I, I don't. It's not that I think that um, I don't think that Tom Holland's Peter Parker is cool. He's definitely a nerd, but he's he has no trouble having friends, and that's. 
not Peter Parker. Well, I, guess, I, think, I guess time period is also really important. Yes, I, think I agree. Tom Holland's nerd is not what you would consider to be uncool nowadays. I think mm-hmm. Tom Holland is exactly the kind of popular nerd that would be out there today, whereas Peter Parker nerd in this movie is the kind that gets stuffed into a locker. Like They are of two different time periods, and so they read a little differently from each other. Mm-hmm. It's really well, bizarre it's cool that to despite... Be a nerd now. It's bizarre that despite how I know this episode is going to end, this feels like the most I've ever agreed with Eduardo on this podcast. <laughs> I don't know. If, if, if the argument is being made that he's the most Peter by comparison to a comic book, sure. Like, I don't have the, I don't have the Ramones t-shirt to argue with you guys about that. You're wearing but a like, Marvel sweater right now. I am. I'm wearing a... <laughs> name one comic book, idiot. Um, <laughs> name one. Name one. And don't say... I can't the do it. Invincible Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just I I can't get away from like also factoring in my likability. So I guess that's a bias that I can't sure, I can't stop fine. examining in this case. That's fair. And honestly, I'm going to go ahead and say that I don't think Peter Parker for the first 8 8 years of the comic was actually that likable. Well, that makes me sad. He became, he became the, the Peter Parker that was in the comics when I was growing up, he was very likable, but also not cool. It's just his wife was hot, so he didn't need friends. <laughs> Ain't that the truth. <laughs> Afterwards, Norman Osborn is alone in his penthouse and hears the <laughs> laughter of the Green Goblin in the distance. As Norman tries to deduce the source of the voice, a mirror is used to indicate the split personalities of Norman Osborn and the Green Goblin. God, I fucking... God, he's just doing... <laughs> He is so, oh my God. He is just, he's acting his ass off. Like he is doing this a hundred. Willem Dafoe is doing this at 150% the whole time. And you just got to give it to him, man. This is my favorite scene in the movie. He's just, he's just going for it. The swagger up to the mirror when he's yeah. goblin. He, he was doing it before Smeagol and Gollum. That's in when I saw, at least. when I saw, um, the two towers. That's exactly what I thought of. I just I could not unsee it as oh this is this is the Green Goblin scene. Yeah. Even though it was only what a few months sooner. Yeah. Same year, right? Yeah. Two thousand two. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What a year. Mm-hmm. It was a great year. <laughs> also, I liked Attack of the Clones at the time it came out, so it was a fantastic year. <laughs> to be young and like Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, my mind wiped out everything that happened before once I saw Yoda flipping around. The second yeah. I saw Yoda flipping around, I didn't remember what happened the rest of the movie. That's the only thing that I left the theater say. I was like, oh my God, did you see Yoda? Yeah, that scene had me like I just I had just eaten all of the I took like three packets of fun dip and I just snorted all of the sugar. <laughs> Attack, Attack of the Clones is my least favorite of uh, pro, pro, um, certainly my least favorite of the prequels probably my least favorite of the Star Wars of the nine movies um, and yet I still remember vividly how I felt when Yoda started flipping around and how I felt at the very end when you see the clone army and the Imperial March starts playing like so I with, vividly remember getting goosebumps at that now that second part is something I still like but I can't I'm not sure I can think of anything that is more Wow, I really liked this. To wait, why did I really like this? Yes, then no, I feel the same way. Around with a lightsaber, I feel the same <laughs> way. It's like I, I think I, I swung from "Oh my god, this is great" to "What the hell was that?" And now I've settled some in the middle of "All right, yeah, well, sure. yeah." I, 
<laughs> I can't think of anything else I've had that swing on like that in fiction. Oh, you said in fiction. I was going to say Four Rivers Jalapenos. But I never like mind. I know. It was a but, bad joke. Now that I was just... mostly tailored for you, and you're ruining it. Sorry. Well, now well, I just well, make well, my... The problem is I can't just make my own flipping Yoda at home, so... <laughs> yeah, it's true. Have you tried? <laughs> the Goblin talks about all the good that has come to Norman's life since he became the Goblin, but insists there's only one man who can stop them, and they need to find Spider-Man. Uh, and as we've already discussed, this movie has no problem leaning into its campiness. And I will go a step further and say... I don't think a lot of this time this movie knew how campy it even was. Like, I think some of these are real performances that we are now going, this is really campy. But at the time, this is just them going for it. I'm going to argue that it's a Sam Raimi movie, so they yeah. know exactly what they were okay. doing. Yep. I'm going to agree. Yeah. Um, that's like, do you, okay. Remember Quibi? Uh, no. The one like streaming service on the phone? Yeah, the one that lasted about four months yeah, yeah, yeah. and Jeffrey Katzenberger lost all their money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, I will because... not give up my golden arm. Yeah, that's Sam Raimi. And Wait, what? Yes, that's okay. the point I'm making. Now it makes sense. Exactly! The first time I saw that clip. Okay, okay so they did those, the story of the woman with the golden arm who will not give up her golden arm. And everyone's dunking on it. And then I found out it was Sam Raimi. I was like... Oh, it's supposed to be stupid. And then I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm so glad that you just demonstrated in real time the point I was going to make. <laughs> Thank you, Robbie. That's all. At the Daily Bugle, Peter sells more pictures to Jameson. After he leaves, the goblin attacks Jonah to ask him who is taking pictures of Spider-Man. I don't know. It comes in the mail. Yeah, he's trying to protect Peter Parker. Yeah, that's Look a moment that. that I actually like, yes. Yeah. Well, right. Like, I like the idea of, yeah, he's going to treat his employees like crap, but J. Jonah Jameson ain't no snitch. <laughs> <laughs> Jameson refuses to give up Parker's name, but Spider-Man arrives in the nick of time. The Goblin surprises him with a sleep cast to knock him out. And why he didn't just sleep. look at his face at Spider sets don't moves. work for sleep gas. <laughs> when Spider-Man awakens on a rooftop, the Goblin gives him the we're not so different, you and I speech and insists the public will turn on him. He asks Spider-Man to join him, then flies off, telling him to think about it. After Doesn't some of cordial thing. Just, yeah, I know. Just feel like it was written by Stan Lee. He could have just murdered him on the spot. He, he could have done any number of terrible, torturous things to him. And he's like, maybe you should think about us being pals. All right, <laughs> see ya. What I want to wonder is, what is he asking? And, I, and I've always wondered this. What does he want him to join him in? What? So Goblin's whole thing was, I'm going to kill these board members. What's next? Like, what is his next plan? Right. Yeah. What are he and Spider-Man going to go do together? You know. Drugs. Kill Spider-Man. <laughs> Join me and we can defeat my greatest enemy. You! <laughs> further, further, what is Spider-Man going to stop him from doing? Spider-Man did not stop him from killing the board of directors for Oscorp, which was all he really had on his to-do list. So <laughs> yeah. what, is, what, what 
is Spider-Man going to stop him from doing? Spider-Man's going to go stop some bank robbers. Does Green Goblin care about the bank robbers? I don't, I don't understand. I still like this movie anyway. <laughs> Afterwards, Peter matches up with Mary Jane. They talk about some stuff. Then Mary Jane walks alone in the rain, and two thugs attempt to mug her but are stopped by the arrival of Spider-Man. And then we get the MTV Award best kiss moment of Mary Jane and Peter kissing upside down. Uh, well, one Still of them hot. is upside down. <laughs> you drown. Was that filmed exactly like it Like it looks? Does anybody know? Yeah, like, they, I, they I imagine like, Tobey Maguire probably had a lot of blood in his they, head. You can, you can see the veins in his neck. There was a problem it, with the mask. They've talked about it a few times about how it was one of the worst kisses of all time and how um, they the rain was still going on, so he kept getting stuff going up his nose, and it was really awful, and it was not a fun – he was there for too long, and like it was just not a fun time for either of them. Yeah. Clearly, she was very cold. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you Chris mean. Chris cut that. that out later. Uh, I got so okay. many pop, so many pop up ads of that exact shot when I was a child <laughs> or high schooler. But what, a, what an unfortunate time to say pop up! <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I'll be cutting that too. <laughs> no, you can't cut it. No, mom and dad, stop listening to my podcast. <laughs> Dad, I never clicked on the pop-ups. It was always my brother. <laughs> go, Web, go. Is on fire. <laughs> it's mechanical, Chris. It's mechanical. <laughs> it seems pretty organic to me. <laughs> Later, an apartment building is on fire, and the firemen are unable to go inside despite the realization a woman's baby is trapped inside. Spider-Man arrives and swings into action, leaping into the building and saving the emotionally grateful woman's child. A cop arrives saying he has orders to arrest Spider-Man and allows him to leave when more screams are heard inside the building. Spider-Man runs back in. I'll be waiting here when you come back. (laughs) Runs back in with a surprise to find the Green Goblin responsible for the screen. The Goblin admits he was baiting Spider-Man and asks him if he's in or out on teaming up to do who knows what. Spider-Man informs Gabi that it is who he is, that it is he who is out, out of his mind. <laughs> oh, that, that classic three quotes. That classic Spider-Man wit. <laughs> I was listening. Why did I make that one of my top three quotes? Uh, one of your other quotes that I really liked, Peaches from the Spider Cut, was. Uh, when they're fighting at the parade and he goes, impressive! Impressive! <laughs> that is the main reason I put that in the intro for the episode. <laughs> I don't know why. His lines are just so gold. <laughs> impressive! <laughs> I mean, he, does he, he flies away at the end of that scene going, we'll be oh, again, Spider-Man! Spider-Man! <laughs> so good! It's so bad, which makes it so good. But it's I think it's try it's it's definitely supposed to be. The, yes. the two briefly fight, but Spider-Man is able to escape with Goblin vowing that no one says no to him. Someone just did, bro. Got him. Multiple times. Uh oh God, this is the perfect time for this. Peach. This movie definitely <laughs> as they have uh, stated with Sam Raimi in general, leans into its campiness a little bit and definitely does not 
take itself very seriously sometimes. No, I so I brought up the uh, our pilot episode, our hidden pilot episode, a bunch of times already, and I'm I'm having trouble after listening to it, like disagreeing with anything I already said, and I know that's like <laughs> that sounds like really ego. <laughs> you listen to it, you're like that peach guy knows what he's talking yeah, about. Yeah, that guy's smart. <laughs> no, it's like a lot of times you watch something, you know, a little while later, and you might feel a little different, but I just. I don't have that many different feelings. If anything, I think I like this movie overall less. And I'm just finding it hard because we've now gone through this journey of rewatching everything in the MCU pretty close to one another and some things outside of the MCU that are really good and some shows now. And I'm having a, I'm just having such a hard time putting my 2002 goggles on. Like I can't, I, I, I can take myself out of the moment sometimes but I can only do it for so long when the movie is the way it is. Like, yeah, we talked about Raimi and like campiness is kind of his thing. And, you know, maybe that's the point. Maybe Raimi thought, how do we get people to like superheroes? We make it corny and funny and maybe that's how it'll draw them in. I don't know if he's, if he thought like humor was going to be the thing that did it, but it's just hard to, really enjoy this movie because there's just there's all there's hardly any elements of seriousness in it it, it feels like they gave toby Maguire one script and they gave everybody else a different script and those two scripts didn't interact with each other whatsoever but they put both of them in the same movie anyway like half the time when toby is talking he doesn't actually say anything that that contributes to the conversation in a meaningful way i don't know i just I think nostalgia holds a lot of us onto this movie because even though I just said pretty, I would say negative things about this movie, I still kind of like it. Like, because it was something that I saw when I was younger that vaguely made me interested in superheroes more than I was. And I really wasn't. So, you know, maybe this was a catalyst that just took a lot of years to get the ball rolling, but I don't think I'd feel the same about this movie if I didn't, watch it when i was younger i I don't think it would hold up and maybe that's with or without the 2002 goggles on uh it's 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 there's a lot wrong with it i mean i was i was about to go to college when this movie came out so i wasn't a kid i will agree with you that it hasn't aged well compared to the mcu so i don't think you're wrong on that um but i'm i do think that at least a couple of us it's not going to be nostalgia what we like about this movie i think I like the camp to a point. I think there are points in these movies where Raimi's Raimi-ness came out too much. Um, and so... Spider-Man 3. <laughs> so what I'm going to say... Well, and, and I think there's some points in Spider-Man 2 as well, and y'all are going to find out how much I like Spider-Man 2 in a week. Um, it's a lot. Um, so I guess what, I, what I'm trying to say is I don't think anything you said is wrong. It's that I think... I, I don't think it's as much nostalgia as much as you're just not the audience. And I don't mean that in the usual, it's not for you way. Like you're not understanding. Cause I think you are understanding. I just think that Rainey has a particular type of fan and I'm in the gray area of his fandom. And some people really, really like Rainey's stuff. And some, people but I don't, don't dislike Rainey's thing. And I don't even dislike campiness. Like my, one of my favorite horror movies is cabin in the woods. That is an intentionally campy 
movie. Like the point of it is to be exaggerated horror plus humor, like weird amalgamation. Like I don't dislike campy. I I think that the Toby being a like an S class creep like drags the movie down a little for me. I think a lot of the dialogue not really making sense. I think they're not being I think the campiness totally outweighing the seriousness brings this down for me as well. I don't know. I It's tough cuz overall I like the movie, but I don't yeah. know why. <laughs> yeah, and and I guess it's weird cuz I don't think you and I are that far apart on what, on how we feel about this. We're yeah. not so different you and I. <laughs> <laughs> Think about it, hero. Um, what you're saying about the dialogue, absolutely. I, it's forced and stilted and disjointed. And I think that, to me, is one of the biggest things that I'm missing going back to this from the MCU polish is how good some of the MCU dialogue is, um, how engaging it is. And I completely agree that that's missing from this. And I don't think that's necessarily a rainy thing. I... If we ever go back and watch the uh, the Tim Burton Batman movies, I think we're going to have the exact same thing to say. And if you really want to... Have you ever watched the 70s Superman movies, Peaches? No. I actually want you to watch them and get back to me on them. Because um, <laughs> everything you just said... Man. <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. and, and I do not like the 70s Superman movies. Um, you will despise them a lot if you ever watch them. Oh, looking and forward I, to it. I'm excited to hear your reaction because the dialogue in those is just so yikes, just so unnatural. You know what I think about it? It's like, like, cause we're all gamers, right? Like for most of us, a game doesn't need to have amazing graphics to be good, right? You can Only play a game. What? Eduardo doesn't. I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, I know. I'm saying like a game doesn't need amazing graphics to be good. Right. But I grew up playing Final Fantasy seven. That was a game that I played when I was young. And I've seen a lot of people as I'm an adult who have never played Final Fantasy seven. And I might suggest it to them or someone might suggest it to them. And they start playing it and they're like, these characters are extremely clunky. And some of the dialogue doesn't make sense. And I don't want to play this game. And they play 10 minutes of it and then they put it down. And I don't know. That's kind of what I'm feeling right now. Because we just, I don't know. Marvel has been too good to us, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Are we going to get 10 years in the future from now and look back at Iron Man and be like, wow, I'm going to deduct two points from when we did this podcast. Because compared to what we have now, this also sucks. Who knows? I I don't think that's entirely possible. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't think you deducted two points, but yeah, you have. Because you yeah. started hating Tony Stark. That's true. Yeah, I think that's entirely possible. By the way, side note, a whole bunch of people at my place of employment pulled me aside to say, can you show us a picture of Eduardo? Because we want to see the face of the guy who also hates Tony Stark like we do. Nice! Um, <laughs> <laughs> so they were pretty excited. Um, yeah, and so I've noticed, for you. I've noticed that there is a turning on Tony Stark. Uh to kind of match Eduardo. Um, no, I, and I think you're right. I think the video game comparison is apt. I think that might happen with the MCU movies we've loved. Uh, I think we just kind of get better at writing something that feels natural. And I also think some of it is a change in what audiences expect. Um, I think we probably discussed this on this podcast, and I definitely discussed it with you guys, especially Soundlord. 
this is going to be some theme park nerdery. The Haunted Mansion at Disneyland is a perfect, it's perfectly taken care of. It's pretty. That's what, what Walt wanted. And the Haunted Mansion at, um, in Florida, in the Magic Kingdom, is decrepit and old with broken windows. And that is not a coincidence. It comes from an evolution of what people wanted from film just between the time that those two attractions were, were facades were built, which was uh, 1963 and on to 1971. And during that period of time, when Star Wars came out, when Alien came out, movies stopped wanting, fans used to want, or, or an audience used to want a movie that was squeaky clean and picturesque and more real than real life. And then people started wanting some gritty, some grit and some realism in their film. And that's what started to seep in. And I think that might be some of what's happened with dialogue as well, uh, very slowly. But I think just like graphics and video games, audiences have stopped caring about, I want my characters to speak in a superhuman theatrical nature and more of, I want my audiences, my, my characters to speak like witty people that I might be friends with. You know, I want to get a beer with Iron Man. I do not want to get a beer with Iron Man. Um, but does, that make, does that make sense? <laughs> I, I, it is to say that I think you're right, and I think there's a reason for it. And absolutely, I think that, you know, our children might go back and say, man, Thanos is, like, kind of forced. And Yeah, I think all of it does end up going back to this movie was designed for the audience of its time. Mm-hmm. And it just, it shows a lot when you go back and watch it. Mm-hmm. Also, it is just wild to think that 2002 was 19 years ago. Stop. I Sorry, saw this, everyone. I went on, I went on senior year high school dates to this movie. You went on dates in high school? Nice. Not many. Wow. And you said you were just like Peter Parker. <laughs> yeah, man, you were way cool. Fraud. If this doesn't well, it, kind of wrap this all up, and I don't think anything will, I just realized and just found out looking through IMDb that Sam Raimi also directed Oz the Great and Powerful. And that just really says it all right there. Yeah, that's kind of, he ended up kind of stepping back from big movies for a while after that one. I'm very interested to see what he does in the modern superhero genre. We're going to find out. With and, and I think Doctor Strange is a good fit for yeah. him. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so I guess to everything Peach said, I think what I really find myself wishing as we talk about this show in the context of this podcast is I want the movie of someone that clearly likes the Spider-Man comics I do the way that Raimi does to do the same treatment with an MCU level of polish. That's something I want to see. Did you guys watch this on Stars? No, yeah. I own the DVD. Okay. What about you guys? <laughs> yes. Same. Yeah. We, we watched it on Stars. Um, so we had little stars logo. In the that's what I was going to talk about. How awful was that? <laughs> it was really it's bad. So bad. Oh, is that what we're gonna? Is that what we're gonna deal with when we stream it? Yeah, there's like a stars logo, like that just is always on in the bottom right corner, and it's it's awful. like you're watching it on stars. The channel. Yeah. Is it like transparent, or does it take up? It is slightly transparent, but not transparent enough, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while, it just caught my yeah. eyes. We don't have. We have it on DVD, but and I pulled up the DVD to watch it, and then I noticed that the DVD was full screen. I said, okay, we're signing up for Star <laughs> Well, I figured I have to watch the rest of these movies anyway. I think the only one that we own is Spider-Man 
I think we own Spider-Man 2. Yeah, Spider-Man 2 is the only other one that we have a DVD yeah. for. You'll be shocked to know that I do not know own Amazing Spider-Man 2. I think we owned both of them. Ah. I have Amazing Spider-Man 1. Ah. Listen, that movie's not that bad. I agree. I disagree. <laughs> At Harry and Peter's apartment, Aunt May, Harry, and Mary Jane are gathered for the world's most awkward Thanksgiving dinner. Norman arrives late, saying work was murder. Peter finally... Yeah, it's funny because he just killed people. <laughs> I get it. Peter finally also arrives late, bearing scars earned from his fight with the goblin. My favorite part is when Peter's at the top and then he splooshes out what looks like red paint or tomato ketchup onto the ground yeah. that looks nothing like blood. I know, Angela said that she goes, that is the fakest looking blood I have ever seen. <laughs> That stands out more to me than the cartoon skeletons. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they like stay on it for a while, right? It's not like the cartoon skeletons mm-hmm. are kind of like, it's like, it's like a very quick thing. But this, they're like, yeah, on it's like, it. what did you see? Peter finally also arrives late, bearing scars, blah, blah, blah. Back in his penthouse, Norman and the Goblin converse about what to do with Spider-Man and realize they need to attack his heart because he figures out it's Peter because he has a thing on his arm. In the Parker residence... Aunt May says her evening prayers, but is interrupted by the Green Goblin blowing up the side of the house and threat. Finish it! <laughs> Finish it! <laughs> From evil! It sounds like a mermaid man. <laughs> evil! Every villain is lemons. <laughs> Peter waits in the hospital and is visited by Mary Jane. The two once again start to open up and connect when Harry arrives, seeing them holding hands, because apparently that's just like them doing it right there in the hotel or in the hospital. <laughs> yeah, right. They're it's basically like, like they're holding hands. Thing. It is over. <laughs> I think it's kind of normal for a friend to hold someone, their other friend's hand right? when their mother figure is in the hospital. Right. I right? feel like yes. that was like the... <laughs> Most innocuous thing you could have walked in. What made it weird was when they were like, Yeah, um, I wasn't touching her. Well, I think they did it because they knew he'd be weird about it, which is exactly what happened. Yeah, I hate that monologue too. Speaking of awkward, Toby, (laughs) yes, yeah, dude could have said literally anything else, he could have recited the lemon thing from Portal 2 and it would have made more sense. 16 year old Robin, that guy's in the theater. Sixteen-year-old <laughs> Robbie in the theater loving this movie still cringed at that monologue. What did I say to Spider-Man? I said, "Do you know who I am? I'm the guy that's going to burn your house down with the lemons. <laughs> I'm going to make life rue the day." It gave Spider-Man lemons. Do you know who I am? <laughs> oh, Harry! Harry heads home <laughs> dejected and opens up to his father about being hurt by Mary Jane. Also, that whole interaction with them right before this, where he's telling her to like get what he need from her and then discard her or whatever. Rumor fast, yeah. Like Jesus, and then he's like, yes. "Don't talk about things you don't know about." Like, what the fuck? What? What does Broomer even mean? <laughs> also, in another brilliant you. display of Kirsten Dunsery on this uh, in this movie. She yells at Harry for not defending him when that's literally what he but, did. Yes, I was wondering, like, uh, when she said that, I was like, 
I know I just watched this, but am I remembering that scene wrong? <laughs> he literally said, "Don't say that about MJ." That's he's he's basically like, "That's rude. Why would you say that?" And he, we heard everything. Well, you clearly didn't. If you're telling me I didn't defend you, yeah. Like at some point, you're like, "I'm not gonna talk to the crazy man in the elevator anymore." <laughs> right. <laughs> he used broom as a verb. <laughs> <laughs> Norman apologizes for not being enough of a father to Harry and promises to make things right. Later, Aunt May wakes up and has a heart-to-heart with Peter while they talk. May tells Peter he needs to confess his love to MJ, saying everyone knows how he feels and has since they were children. At the realization that everyone knows, Peter runs to the phone to call Mary Jane to warn her. But the Green Goblin answers, asking if the little spider will come out to play. Ooh. Mary Jane wakes up at night, finding herself atop the Queensboro Bridge with the Green Goblin circling overhead. This is cool because I now have seen this page, and this is directly quoted from the, is it yes. the Death of Gwen Stacy. Yeah. This is this is like, yep. Mm-hmm. When I saw this movie, I thought they were killing Mary Jane because <laughs> it was so in seconds. That's where my brain went. Like, oh my god. Um, mm-hmm. So I do think it's very interesting that they so heavily reference referenced the night that Gwen Stacy died with a different character and didn't kill her. Like, and that's not a complaint. I just think it's a very interesting choice. But yes, you're correct. This is the night that Gwen Stacy died. The goblin destroys a cable car conveyor and holds a car full of children hostage while he waits for Spider-Man. When Spider-Man arrives, Goblin offers him a choice. Save the children or save the woman he loves. He tells Spider-Man, we are who we choose to be. Then drops the cable car and Mary Jane from the top of the bridge. Which is interesting because that's also what Uncle Ben tells him earlier. That we are who we choose to be. With great power comes great responsibility. All that stuff. Spider-Man leaps into action. And desperately manages to catch Mary Jane before she hits the water. As well as the cable car is suspended by saving everyone. Everybody lives just as once. As he dangles from holding from a web, holding MJ and the car with a junk <laughs> boat, arriving to help catch the car, the goblins begin flying past and pummeling him helplessly. Before the web can snap and Goblin can finish him off, however, onlookers began throwing garbage at the goblin, telling him, you mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Uh, Spider-Man is able to lower MJ and the children safely to the boat, but the goblin pulls him away and throws him into an abandoned building. I want to pause here. I want to, what? How does everyone feel that scene plays today? Not great. Um, Which the, one? The New Yorkers. You mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Help, helping Spider-Man. The farther we get from 2001, the less the New York friends, the New Yorkers look out for New Yorkers thing works for me. Yeah, because uh, we must remind our listeners, I don't know how old all of you listeners are, perhaps you don't remember 2001. Maybe you weren't in the United the way... States. Like, who knows? Yeah, you know, it could be any any, any number of things. Um, but, I mean, this was in the year after, after 9-11, of course. So, everyone had a lot of affection for New York and for helping out your neighbor and all that kind of thing. Um, so, that ending played really really well in 2002 everyone's like hell yeah spider-man yeah i mean this was a year when people were actually happy the yankees made it to the world series so i mean that tells you where we were as for the nation. record that did not work on me and it still is weird anytime someone talks about that world series like it's tragic the yankees didn't win i was like i 
No, it's. I mean, I'm, I'm a Boston fan. It's right, great that right, the Yankees right. didn't win. Right. They should never I, ever. It, win. it never worked on me. That World Series is one of my favorite moments as a sports fan. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, but but yeah. Um, so yeah, it's just interesting that, and I don't know if that was if that ending was planned before, nine eleven happened. I know that there were some changes that were made in the movie because one of the early trailers had mm-hmm. a big web between the twin towers and. Which that would have actually been a really cool thing to see. Yep. Um, I think they ended up using something similar to that in a later movie with different buildings. Well, and I'm if I remember correctly, that trailer was the kind of trailer that was made. It was basically back when teasers were and like teasers were real instead of now teasers are just a trailer. Back then it was like this is a thing yeah. to advertise the thing that's coming. I don't think it was footage that was supposed to make the movie. Right. Um, it was just advertised. There's a Spider-Man movie coming, but then pretty quickly it's like we will stop using this now. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't play that yeah. well anymore. It's, I think still it's still fun, yeah. but it's it, but it it's not the stand up and cheer moment that it was in 2002. And I think you would still be able to use that moment now. You would just rewrite it very slightly to be New Yorkers love Spider-Man, not New Yorkers love New Yorkers. They stick together, but like Spider-Man has won over the crowd. Yeah. Yeah, because Green Goblin's a New Yorker, too. That's true. The Green Goblin ruthlessly beats Spider-Man bloody when he has him on the floor. He tells Spider-Man after he kills him, he's going to find Mary Jane and torture her to death. All right, Robbie, I need to talk to you about this scene. Because in our previous uh-huh. episode, the Spider Cut, you talk, you praise this scene. It's one of your points. You talk about uh-huh. how much you like this scene. And... um, On my rewatch... I found this scene hilarious and I didn't think it is, it is funny. It, I thought it, I think it is so funny and I don't it, it, compared to what you said then, I don't agree with past Robbie, maybe a future Robbie feels different, but specifically there's one point where Peter just throws a web out and it sticks. And then like green goblin sort of just gets caught in it for a second. He's like, Oh no. Ah! And then he finally forces his way through. And it might be one of the funniest moments in any superhero movie ever because it's so stupid. Uh, so I, so I have not had a chance to re-listen to the spider cut yet. Um, Cause I've had a busy week, uh, but I will say that in my notes, my personal notes didn't make our community notes. I have, this remains one of my favorite superhero showdowns. I think the MCU would do a better goblin and have more polish but, and maybe better dialogue, but the gravity of the fight is some of the best hero versus villain ever done in a comic split. You also said the words, and I, I can't believe I forgot to bring this up earlier, that this score is better than any other MCU score. Uh, mm, I don't know that I'd stand by that, but it's better than almost every. Interesting. Uh, you also yes. said this scene is well shot, and I cannot, sir agree with you there because this scene is not well like cross-examining him right this now is... i think it's i'm not going to go with poorly shot but i will say that i think for the most part it's not shot as well as superhero films are more recently i think some of the camera work in this scene maybe it's a product of the time but unfortunately we have all of these mcu movies now that i can't compare it to and it doesn't hold up to them with mj threatened peter finds a second wind and is able to knock around the goblin until he surrenders and takes off his helmet, revealing himself to be Norman Osborn. <gasps> Gasp. And pleading for mercy Again. from Peter. 
Peter is taken back, and Norman insists he's the closest thing Peter has to a father. And as he does, he silently moves the glider into position behind Spider-Man. Parker rejects Norman, saying his daddy was Ben Parker. As he does, Osborne attempts to stab him from, the, from behind with the glider. I love this. Godspeed, Spider-Man. Uh, but Peter's mm-hmm. spider sense alerts him. He jumps out of the way, and Osborne instead stabs himself, saying, Don't tell Harry, as he dies. Which is the Matching same thing MJ said. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and matches Goblin's, I know we said this on the spider cut, but matches Goblin's death in the comics, or his temporary death in the comics, his three-decade death in the comics before that was retconned. Spider-Man takes Norman's body back to his penthouse and is found by an angry Harry who blames Spider-Man for the death as he escapes. At Norman's funeral, Peter attempts to console Harry, but Harry vows to find and kill Spider-Man. Later, at Ben Parker's grave, Mary Jane finds Peter and confesses that while she had a crush on Spider-Man, she realized in her near death that who she's really in love with is Peter Parker. Who did not save her life to her knowledge, so that's a little bit a little bit cold to Spider-Man. Realizing the ones he loved will always be the ones who pay as long as he's Spider-Man, Peter tells MJ they're just friends and walks away. Stone cold, bro. <laughs> friend zone, stone cold. Like, sorry, we can be friends. Get if you wrecked. Want. Just dumpstered, man. <laughs> The biggest flex a nerd has ever had. Mm-hmm. I'm going I'm, I'm to leave you crying in this graveyard. Also, yeah, that's true. We're just friends. Now I'm going to walk away. Like, it's just like, harsh. I'll always be there for you. Peace. The movie closes with Spider-Man's voiceover saying, I will never forget these words again. With great power comes great responsibility. I should write that down. It is my blessing... <laughs> my curse who am i i'm spider-man john cena <laughs> and then chad kroger plays <laughs> that's in the notes just for the record well in the notes it says then nickelback plays and then i've been corrected so mm-hmm. all right so uh compared to the mcu i feel like we talked already a lot about how it compares yeah to yeah the we MCU. did i was worried we wouldn't but we did um but as it stands, what do you guys think? I think uh, I'm with Peaches. I, mean, I don't think it holds up that well. Here's here's what I'm interested in. So the, the part of the reason we're doing this, like you said at the beginning, is to fill the time in between this and Loki. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Another part of the reason that we're doing this is because of the rumors of what Spider-Man 3 in our beloved MCU is going to feature. And as a lot of people know, you know, it's been rumored that they're pulling in a bunch of people from the different Spider-Man franchises that have uh, that have been in the past. We know some of those are not rumors anymore, right? So I think I'm most curious what bits and pieces of this story mm-hmm. are they going to use? Um, are they going to use characters that, that died? Like, if they're pulling them from a multiverse, they could use Willem Dafoe. Well, they've confirmed Dr. Octopus, right? And he died. Yes. Yes. I mean, to be fair, he confirmed himself. So, right. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, I don't know if it's just going to be, obviously, none of us know if it's going to be just quick cameos by some of these characters or what it's going to be. I am really curious. This is such a unique thing. 
because this is the only thing so far that like was never a part of the MCU and now might be. So like mm-hmm. how this relates to the MCU could be crazy. I could be any number of things. I think it's the opposite. I think we're getting more Evan Peters uh, being, you know, Ralph Boners than we are getting connections you of think? these worlds. Absolutely. Man, that that will legitimately upset me. I'm fine if they don't if they don't acknowledge this movie at all. What's going to annoy me is if they just pull that same trick all over again. Now, did Alfred Mar- Molina? Did did Alfred Molina? I agree with that. Did he conf- confirm just himself? Because yeah, he he didn't say anything else, but he did talk about he talked rather openly about going back to this role and wondering, well, didn't I die? How can I come back? And yeah, interesting. Comic books, and, man. And and Garfield and McGuire weren't. Are they still like rumor? They're still rumor. They, they are, have both. They are said they're not in denying it. Which okay. is exactly uh, now, what they would say if they were in it. Right. So yes. Yeah. Exactly. Not everyone Tom is, as... is the leaky Spider-Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, this guy's yeah, also staying. rumored to be in a Jamie Fox. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't. I agree with Chris. I don't Chris think they'll do another. I don't think they'll do another Ralph Boner. Right. But yeah, I think especially since also, I know we we talked rather definitively, or or well, though we didn't, but a lot of people did about Pietro. But the fact that Doctor Strange is in this Spider-Man movie. Um, just before doing a movie called In the Multiverse of Madness. And I think when you take into consideration the things that Sony has wanted to do as well. Are are they still working on a Madame Web movie? I believe so, which is still a weird choice. I mean, it's it's weird to do a Morpheus movie, but here we are. From this, you know, yeah. Yeah, if if you put Madame Web in this movie and then do a spinoff, people will be interested. So so it makes sense that, that you know, and Spider-Verse has been done many times, comics and TV and movie, as we know. So doing some kind of Spider-Man team-up makes sense. I, you know, I'm very curious to see if slash how they pull it off, if, if that's what comes up. Because it's interesting because there's still a lot of affection, I think, among a lot of fans for the Raimi movies. I think there's um, also some people who like the Amazing Spider-Man movies. Like, I think there's some people, like, like how people yeah, who grew up with the, with the prequels and... and think the prequels are the best uh, Star Wars movies. Like, there are people that just grew up with the Amazing Spider-Man movies, and those are their Spider-Man movies. Yeah. Oh. Robbie's. <laughs> Robbie looks physically pained by that realization. Huh. Well, at least one member of this podcast grew up with the uh, Fox cartoon, so <laughs> I appreciate that person. MVP! <sighs> Robbie, we'll start with you. Who's your MVP? For uh, who was my MVP for the spider It was Green Goblin. Okay, so I haven't changed my MVP. It's the Green Goblin. Uh, I-, I feel like it's kind of obvious, and I feel like at the time... When we first started this, weren't we talking about, wow, it's just always going to be the villain and it's going to be boring, and that's not what happened. No, and I, um, I, specifically in the first episode, Peach had a really hard time trying to... Because I think we hadn't really defined, and we still haven't, but we didn't really have a right. good definition of what the MVP was. It was something... Just like baseball writers. I think it was intentionally ambiguous to be like, MVP can mean whatever it means to you. 
Uh, and mm-hmm. I think Peach has yes. trouble when things are ambiguous like that. He needs to be told, this is what this is, or else he's going to have a hard time. I need yeah. rules, damn it. <laughs> and that's that's why I don't want the rules, because watching him try and struggle through how he's going to define things is one of my favorite parts of our podcast. <laughs> I think Peach really um, is the baseball writer among us, because he's so the one many, who made sure yes, this wasn't unanimous. Correct, correct. I don't know how I lucked into this universe, this this way of the universe but so many people's friendship with me hinges on they like watching me suffer so you just handle it so well also yeah uh, i definitely. agree i agree with sound lord of this group of friends you are the baseball writer um that makes me so offended and i don't even know why <laughs> i'm so offended you're just constantly screaming about the importance of the human element and i can't take it anymore um it's so, not true so yeah no it, it's willem dafoe despite the power rangers helmet uh how about you sound lord um, I also went with Gabby. Um, you know, you. I, I want to touch on something you just said real quick, though, is how at the beginning we're like, oh, what's always going to be the villain? And I had this realization earlier, I was listening to you guys talk, that superhero movies have evolved. Spider-Man here was very much in the Batman franchise vein where the movies were about, oh, who's going to be the villain? And I don't think we really talk about Marvel movies like yeah. that. Well, mostly because yeah, a right. lot of the times they're like, all right, who's the villain for this one? Batroc the Leaper. All right, let me go look up who Batroc the Leaper. Like, I think part of it is because <laughs> some of the villains aren't as synonymous. Um, and uh-huh. some, a lot of the times they really pull intentionally from the weeds. Like when they picked Whiplash for Iron Man 2. Like, I think uh-huh. a lot of the times they're intentionally pulling some out of the woodwork so that you don't have expectations because expectations lead to disappointment a lot of the times. But I think yeah. it also speaks to the fact that we're not at the point where it's about the heroes and like right. we like and care about the heroes. We like uh-huh. we will go see the next you know, Doctor Strange or, or Spider Man or whatever, any of these movies, regardless of who the villain is, because we like the characters so much. Right. And this movie still comes from the time of the villain dies at the end of the movie. That's just how it has to be. The villain has to die at the end of the movie. Yeah. And we have evolved from that. Like the villain can be a persistent part of the universe, just like in a comic book. Yeah. Just like at the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, my MVP yeah. is also Norman Osborn. <laughs> uh, even though at the, the first time we watched this, it was Uncle Ben. Peach, what about you? I changed my answer to your old answer. I think it's Uncle Ben. It's See, I can't, I can't argue with you guys about the the absolute work that Willem Dafoe did in this movie. But at the same time, I think what I was going for before in our pilot episode, like Eduardo said, I was kind of confused about what MVP needed to mean. And I was thinking about it like, you know, I don't even know how to explain it. I just know it was in a different way. Now I'm thinking about it as... Uncle Ben was, of all the people that acted in this movie, Cliff Robertson acted the best. (laughs) For the three scenes he was in, he had the best acting in this campy, cheesy dialogue movie. And obviously it's Uncle Ben, so, you know, he is the reason that Spider-Man is the way he is. He's the reason that Peter Parker is being responsible and having great power and et cetera, et cetera, so... I changed my answer to Uncle Ben. It was Spider-Man before, and I hate past Peaches for that. Well, I guess it was Spider-Man and not Peter Parker. But, you know. What's your rating? (laughs) Okay, I gave this, uh, I gave Spider-Man one, six human spiders out of ten. 
Chris? I gave it seven cold shivers running down your spine out of ten. How about uh, how about you? Uh, so I will Ron? say, I love this movie despite the fact that it has my least favorite take on MJ of any Spider-Man movie. Um, I gave this movie uh, seven point five organic web shooters out of ten. Eduardo, uh, what what did you rate this movie? I gave it six point five back to formulas out of ten. Back to formula. Back to formula. All right. We're going to do this thing that we've apparently said we're doing where we're going to rank all Spider-Man movies watched so far on this podcast. Chris, we will start with you. Uh, give us uh, the appropriate ratings. The appropriate ratings, uh, as I see them, uh, are number one, Into the Spider-Verse. Not, there is a, the, I think there's only one movie that could possibly top it, and I don't think it will. Um, number two, Spider-Man Far From Home. Number three, Spider-Man Homecoming. Number four, Spider-Man 1. All right, let me give you the correct order. You almost had it right. You were like right there. It's it's Spider-Verse, then Homecoming, then Far From Home, and this movie. You were so close. Uh, so close. I, I, just, I just like Mysterio. <laughs> I like him too. I do. Eduardo? Uh, no, Chris is right. It is Spider-Verse, Far From Home, <laughs> Homecoming, and then Spider-Man 1. That is the correct order. And hey, Chris, when Robbie gives his, can you put, this is where I'm going to request dolphin noises. Can you just... <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, Chris and Eduardo are close, but just one glaring mistake. Um, Into the Spider-Verse, by far, I don't think it'll ever be touched. Uh, I have trouble picturing a Spider-Man movie that I like more than Into the Spider-Verse. Um, then Far From Home, then Spider-Man 1, and then easily at the bottom, homecoming. Ooh, easily. God, he threw that's that the in there. That's just the thing. I want to fight you. Easily at the bottom. He just threw that oh in there. Just to make you're you such. A, you're full of. If, <laughs> you're if, so if, wrong. If it makes you feel any better, it will finish third from the bottom. That doesn't make me feel better. Yeah, that makes me feel worse. <laughs> Why would I feel better? <laughs> that means you like Spider-Man three more than that. Oh no. <laughs> you don't know there are multiple options. <laughs> oh, I know. I can't do this with Robbie anymore. Can we get a new fourth host? No, you can do the notes every week. Robbie's here forever. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Well, Damn. that's going to do it for all of us. The happy little family that we are. Uh, <laughs> Want to let us know what your rankings are? Send us an email. Assemblyrequiredcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at assemblycast. You can follow us all individually. GatorSax2010 for Chris. PhilKid3 for Robbie. D underscore Peaches for Peaches. ABCD Eduardo one for myself. If you'd like to support the show, we are supported by listeners just like you over at patreon.com slash assembly required huge shout out to our avengers brian and riley cap the first avenger and riley the second avenger uh i think that's gonna do it that's gonna do it for myself for robbie for chris for peaches we love you 3000 bye everybody excelsior hydra bobbly bobbly impressive That's why I fear it won't do And they say that a hero can save us I'm not
The tests have come in that is pulmonary gold disease. As long as your body keeps absorbing the gold through your skin, there's very little I can do. You've got to take off that prosthetic. No. I can't take off my golden arm. Ever. Sir? Whatever she wants. Promise me something. Anything. When I die, bury me with my golden arm. Promise.